0: So it's not the season we've been looking forward to. Business, education, entertainment are all suspended or dramatically changed as we live through this lockdown. We're slowing the transmission, allowing our health services a chance to cope. At grassroots community level, our hockey and social operations are suspended. What should have been a week of our much-anticipated Round 1, with planned season launch celebrations, the Premier League shirt presentation and life members' lunch, has passed us by, and our operations seem suspended for the foreseeable future. Welcome to Episode 1 of the Camberwell Hockey Podcast. In a moment, I'll introduce a wide-ranging discussion with Club President Simon Winter. But first, I wanted to briefly talk about this podcast. I'm Steve Pryor. I am not your host. I chair our club's men's section and help in the communications working group. The comms group have been working really hard to reinforce our virtual connections in this time of physical distancing. You may have already attended a club Zoom meeting or been invited to move administration discussion onto Slack. Maybe you've participated in our Instagram strength and conditioning sessions. The comms team are doing a fantastic job in developing these connections, and this podcast is another initiative to improve our virtual connection. During each episode, we'll cover current news and updates from the club and hockey world and present segments with past and present figures in our club and wider community. Our objective is to present a casual conversation format with each guest, roaming over topics hockey-related and not as the discussion flows. We need your help to make this work. First of all, we need hosts. Your job will be this job having conversations with a range of guests to provide the core content needed to build each episode, and occasionally leading the show, with a co-host perhaps, to present and discuss news and introducing the segments. The technology side is covered and easy. We'll distribute microphone headsets where needed to ensure audio quality. All you'll need is a computer and a reasonable internet connection. We can show you the rest. Interested? Get in touch at the comms email address, which is in the show notes. Next, we need guests players, officials, administrators, families, and supporters. All grades, past and present, within the club and without, you're in our sights and would love to present your story. If you're asked, when you're asked, please say yes and help us build this connection. Lastly, we need listeners. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, support the club our sponsors in the community, as we grow and strengthen our virtual connections. Have questions for us to answer on air, send them via email, or tag us on Twitter, hashtag AskWellers. Now, I'd like to introduce Hamish, having a discussion with Club President Simon Winter.
1: Well, Simon, it's uh, good to have you on the first episode of the show. Uh, How's all this uh, current situation treating you?
2: Well, Hamish, it's um, a really interesting situation that we're all still getting used to, I'm sure. Day by day, you're finding out more about how effectively you can work. I'm working at home. I've got uh, four staff who are also working from home and we uh, we catch up via Zoom like everybody else. And we're just seeing how sustainable that is. And I think the last week's been amazing just how much better we're working from home and online I've got my wife at home as well, so that's also happening. And I have my younger son Jack, who unfortunately lost his job at the uh, Aqualink in Q uh, because they shut it down. So uh, you know, he's he's looking around. But everyone's got their own situation, and and I guess we're making the best of what we can, what we can at the moment. Yeah, I suppose it's definitely tricky.
1: Me myself and my housemate now are um, all set up downstairs in the you know little sort of home office. But it's um yeah it's certainly certainly different.
2: It is i'm exercising more i've got to say that that's been good, yeah, definitely saving a little bit of money here myself there's no excuse for not getting up and doing something yeah that's right, yeah that's good, very good uh,
1: all right well, I think if you could just give us a little bit of a background on your
2: involvement in hockey and and how that's come to to get to that sure um I've got two hockey careers uh, the first one went for twenty years and that was in Adelaide, and the second one's been another 20 years plus at Camberwell and and I guess uh in Adelaide it was a much smaller environment nowhere near as many clubs but uh the competition was pretty healthy in those days so um I played 10 years at Burnside which um actually Ron Yates was involved in Burnside many years ago and um I couldn't break through to the top side I had two brothers younger brothers who were much better than I was and they couldn't get through to the top side either and and so all three of us went to um Adelaide Hockey Club, um, which was uh, a terrific club environment and we my brothers got straight into the top side and I had to work my way into it and eventually, at the ripe old age of twenty four managed to start playing um, in the senior team and It was uh, terrific times you know back in the old days, of course, you played at um, one thirty and three o'clock, and everyone was back at the club you know every team played at those two times on a Saturday. And so the club environment was um remarkable on a Saturday night that's where everybody went. And then of course uh turf started to um come along and um that started to mess around with the timetables which really changed the the way that hockey was played and the times that hockey was played. But at that time my career sort of took over and and I had a job uh, traveling internationally about 20 weeks a year and so I just didn't play for about 10 10 years we then moved interstate to melbourne and uh tom and his two brothers came along and once tom started playing at the age of nine um or well, minky eight maybe um jane and i started down at camberwell hockey club and i walked straight into the masters and also one of the metro teams um, and have played the last sort of 20 21 years with camberwell which has been fantastic very nice. Yeah, I, um, I've had experience playing with
1: uh, Tom myself. He used to be my coach in juniors and oh, yes. uh, now I worked with him in managing in the Premier League. So it's, uh, it's always good. Uh, so yeah. obviously now um, leading the club through quite a difficult period of time, quite unprecedented. We had a week uh, during the middle of March, which at least from my experience with the men's Premier League was absolutely insane can you give us some background there on you know how how everything went and obviously season being suspended uh, working with you know HV other clubs and and how that all came about yes
2: well i think what was happening of course that uh, weekend uh, was it the weekend before the long weekend maybe or where covid-19 covid-19 i'm not even sure that was a term at the at the time it was and probably still is coronavirus was really just emerging in China and people were starting to reach their own conclusions about what might happen and and I think we saw not just with our leaders in state and federal but leaders across you know the, the sporting industries and certainly the AFL and and uh, all of the national football codes they all started to reach their own conclusions at different times and it was almost as if every day was a different decision yes and I uh, recall very clearly that HV and HA, of course, were perceived to be behind the pack at that time. But you've got to bear in mind that Hockey Victoria and Hockey Australia are there to run hockey competitions. And so that's their job. And so therefore, they're going to be the last people to call off a hockey competition. Absolutely. So we were really dealing... Yeah, at club level, we were dealing with obviously this huge momentum of, um, preparing for seasons. Um, but also we were dealing with parents starting to make their own decisions about their children and, and what sort of engagement they were going to have in the community and individuals making their own decisions as well. We had a summer competition with the, the 12, uh, masters teams sort of getting close to the, uh, the grand final, uh, night and, we had a, 60s, a men's 60s comp also getting close to grand final night, and so there was a great sense of well, people were very keen to complete those competitions. But at uh, so at one point we decided then to stop all activities that were going to be off the field and allow training because at that time we perceived, um, and I think quite rightly, that there was a um, a very low risk um, of infection and. Um, certainly an outdoor activity where people didn't come into constant close contact was we were told was fine and certainly the AFL were very happy to um, run round one but it just then changed very quickly and we got to the point where I think the sensible idea for our club and as it happened a number of others uh, decided to spend suspend all operations both inside the club rooms on the field and generally other than sort of admin and maintenance and uh And that was met at that point in time, we had people who may have felt we were too late and they were way ahead of us in terms of wanting to close things down. And we had other people, um, no doubt the ones who were dead keen to play a game of hockey, who felt we were going too early. And you're never going to get uh, everyone happy with that decision, but that's the one we made. And as it turned out, I think um, we were just a few days in front of HV and... Uh, probably a whole, whole week in front of the AFL and then, then the uh, city council closed everything down, uh, within their municipality, uh, probably a week or so after that. And, uh, so the decision therefore was the, the discussion had finished. Incredible disappointment. Um, for, on a personal basis, I was, I was in the top side in the, the, uh, summer comp and we didn't get to play a grand final and we were the top side in the sixties and we didn't get to, play a grand final so all we've got are bragging rights that we finished on top but uh, no flags to go along with that I'm afraid. More of a European premiership style I guess at the top of the table. Championship yes well that that, perhaps we should call it that and just walk (laughs) off with them but anyway look um, certainly um, a trying time for a lot of people and I think that's because um, across the spectrum people were feeling different things and thinking different things about what needed to be done. And uh, I would say at this point in time, everyone's a lot closer to the same place. You know, I think the message from our leaders in government um, couldn't be clearer. Stay at home. And I think they give you four examples to um, leave home. And everyone's comfortable with that. We're making do with that. And, um, and we're going to sustain life on that
1: absolutely it's you know it, it is interesting obviously it puts uh, it puts everything into sp- perspective especially after a couple of weeks now where we ha- we've been sort of un- under these conditions and uh it feels like a lifetime ago we we're, we're out on the
2: field but really is the right decision indeed indeed so um i guess we we're now waiting to see what happens aren't we and um one gets the feeling that that could be um a little way down the track
1: Absolutely. Well, obviously, you know, now with everything off, you know, on field and, and most of our off field stuff suspended as well, the, you know, the club's looking at a whole bunch of other things that we could be doing and, and, you know, using social media and the likes. But, uh, I think an interesting point to look at as well is how this is going to impact our club, uh, financially and, you know, sustainability wise. I saw, uh, just today that the club put out, uh, notice that subs were going to be refunded. Um,
2: yes. Could you give us some more uh, some more of an outline there? Sure. Well, the way that um, the subs for winter work is that uh, it's, there's kind of a three phases. There's the junior section who collects subs on registration, which is a, um, has, has been the way they've done it for years. It's a terrific way of doing it, and it brings in, um, obviously, a considerable amount of money to the club early in the season and which is great because that's when we've got some cash flow requirements. And um, so we'd collected a considerable amount of money prior to the season, starting through the juniors. We'd also had the early birds who uh, register, not that they get a discount, but they're just people that, okay, the, the uh, weather's changing. I've got a hockey stick in my hand. Winter's in front of me. I better pay my subs. And they do. And that's been, it's also been terrific and it gives the club a, a boost. Um, but of course, now that we're in this time where it is a flux, we just felt that holding on to subs for a season that is not likely to start for, well, at least term two, you can imagine putting it in school terms. So let's, let's call that three months, um, at the very earliest and possibly longer. We just felt that, um, as a club, we don't need to, hold on to people's money at this time we don't want to embarrass anybody we don't want to be seen uh or in fact to be holding on to funds that we're not able to provide value for and um it is better off to return to return that money and to um get on with the business of running the club based on the fine the funds that we have at the moment and uh As I I think I said in the whole of club email a week or so ago, we have been very fortunate with the um, financial management of this club over quite some decades, whereby we've been able to fund our own new pitches, and we've also been able to fund a lot of the activities from uh, cash reserves that we've got. And while those people over the last decades weren't thinking of an example such as this, um, it's certainly come to pass that you know having that money in the bank is going to allow us to um to get through this and um and sure we'll take a hit because we stop playing we don't stop spending money on various things but we're certainly in a good position and of course once we start playing and people get back on board and pay their subs well away we go again and then we'll just recover that position over time hopefully but uh, yeah so from a financial point of view you know, you look at um the names on the the honour boards uh, up around the club rooms and uh it's those people and their committees and their boards that um you've got to uh, got to thank for the position we find ourselves in which is great
1: Absolutely. Some excellent work done over the years there for sure. So, you know, going forward now, uh, you know, how how do you see things going from here in terms of uh, what we may have heard from HV, other clubs, or or even internally um, your own thoughts about, you know, when we do get back to it or when that might be and uh, what what
2: sort of – what that might look like? It's a really good question and it's going to be one that, you know, I guess we're all looking to – the indicators, you know, everyone wakes up every day and hears how many case, new cases there are. And I think um, that tends to be the the number that people are focusing on as some sort of indicator as to how we're going. Um, you know, you, you kind of look for a, an answer on one page, don't you? And and I guess new cases tends to be the one to say, well, how how many people are still being infected and how long does that take? I can say that in terms of getting a hockey competition going that all we can do at the moment and Hockey Victoria have been uh, remarkable in this, in presenting scenarios, you know, there'll be a scenario called June and there's a scenario called July and uh, essentially those scenarios are start dates. And they're saying, well, if we can play in June or if we can play in July and it goes out till September, um, and then one scenario even said, and if we can play over summer. And so what they're doing is working through what that might all mean. And, you know, most people, I think, are, are, are feeling that, you know, I guess you don't want to talk about this thing in terms of years. You want to talk about it in terms of months. And everyone's got a sense that, okay, it's no longer weeks, it's months. Um, and so we're looking at, uh, we're looking at it with HV as to, well, okay, what, what, sort of a competition can we play across all grades they want everyone to play and that's really important once we get the nod that this will happen and i imagine that we need two to three weeks to get our act together um you know everyone's sitting there hockey stick in hand shin pads on mouth guarded in tucked in their sock ready to um to get in the car or on the bike or walk down to the club, right? So we're not going to lean a lot of time to get our act together. Um, may take a while to recover some fitness, but, you know, you can get on the field and do that. So uh, there are a number of scenarios. Everyone else will be in the same boat
1: for that. Yeah.
2: Oh, absolutely. And so there's not a lot of discussion beyond what some of those competitions might look like, whether they are a championship, whether they are a um, – two pools or whether they do try and play a couple of games a week. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, at the end of the day, the community will be very flexible in embracing those competitions because um, – that's what we want to do. Absolutely. Everyone just wants to have a game, right? Yeah. And see the club full of people again and uh, get back to normal. And, and getting back to normal will be on a whole raft of different issues, you know, going back to the workplace if that happens. That'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Um, and just how we we embrace what is the new normal. But we certainly include hockey in that. Absolutely. Well, it'll be
1: uh, it'll be interesting to see. Moving on maybe to another topic here as well. Obviously, Simon, this is you you know you've you're through your first year as president, uh, a little bit into the next one now. Even though it's been a funny year so far, (laughs) Um, how's how have you found that as uh, getting started, and you know some of the challenges you might have faced, you know, in terms of getting going with all of that?
2: Well, uh, as I mentioned, I've been obviously at the club for twenty years, and um, I sort of went through uh, with the junior parents, you know, with Tom uh, in that instance and I was the team umpire right through juniors and I also played metro and was playing masters so I was kind of making circles of friends in those groups and and then um, obviously following Tom's teams as he went through juniors but also then into the sort of the pennant grades Um, so I knew a lot of the players and and parents in those teams and obviously then when I've taken on this role I now have really found myself watching girls play hockey, which of course, having only sons, um, haven't done a lot of that. And I have really enjoyed meeting the women of our club and watching them play and uh, getting to know uh, how they tick and and what's important to them. And I spent a lot of time last year uh, watching Premier League women and Premier League women reserves and then a a few games uh, here and there uh, with some of the other women's teams And so that's really been the new area of um, meeting people. I had a few acquaintances in the the Premier League, Premier League reserves groups as well, but that's also been terrific for the men's, getting to know them and, and watching them play. And I kind of like hanging around at the club, just heading down there on the way home from work and seeing who's training and having a chat to people and doing the same thing on the weekends. And I have really enjoyed that part of it. I must say it's, um, it is a terrific club and, and full of great people. And I think, um, from my point of view, being sort of in the administration ranks of the club now and standing there on that deck watching, you know, people come past, say good day and they stop and have a chat and they tell you things about the club. Um, you learn so much about it and you certainly get a greater sense of the, the tone and the culture. That we've um, we've established as a group, and you know, there's no one person uh, responsible for tone and culture. It's uh, something that's shared, and certainly, um, you know, if you want to see something that's really contagious, I think tone is certainly one of those. Um, and it doesn't take long for someone coming to the club to get a sense of who we are and uh, and why we are. Um, and I think that's been one of the really good things um, from a board point of view yeah board meetings are um you know they're they're not something that you do for for laughs but they're certainly um fascinating and and interesting and important for a club and i I do enjoy that they always go too long and I haven't been able to work out the secret <laughs> of that yet um even our even even our first zoom uh board meeting the other night went for about the same time <laughs> so that doesn't seem to be the the recipe yeah um <laughs> uh, but um I I look I think I, I've spent a lot of time answering that question talking about meeting people and I think that's the thing, particularly um at my age, you really appreciate as much as anything. It's uh just watching young people come through, you know, that we've got this um sort of clutch of young girls who are sixteen to eighteen year olds coming through from juniors into the seniors and forcing their way into the top two sides and it's a really exciting thing to watch um absolutely it drives the older brigade and the same thing happens in the men's you know when you get some really young talented men coming through into those teams uh, the the guys uh the older guys think oh dear i'm gonna have to dig a little deeper and i think that sort of contributes to the way that we play and and the way that we treat each other so yeah those things are, are terrific um, there's no doubt we've had some challenges, um, not the least of which is this one. Yeah. Um, and I'm very pleased that I had at least had a year to see how the club runs normally. Yes. <laughs> before having to deal with how it runs abnormally. It would have been quite a trial by fire, I imagine. Yeah, or a little bit, you know, but everyone's in the same boats and we hadn't written a sort of a, a recipe book for it on how to sort of get through it. But you know we're very fortunate we 've got some fantastic people, and they're all continuing to burrow away you know they're they're still finishing off projects and they're still working on new ones and um, they're still Campbell hockey club people, even though there's there's not a ball being hit in anger so uh the club still functions and i I think it's it's a really different time, but it's still the same hockey club, yeah. Um, and, and look, I, I, I think that um, you know we've we've looked at where we where we how we operate normally, and then said, well, all we're really going to do here is set ourselves up to make sure that we operate normally again. Yeah, um, we're not going to overcomplicate it, and it kind of gives us a chance to catch up on a few projects. So I know a lot of things I'm doing in this sort of hibernation. I'm doing in preparation for when we return to normal.
1: Absolutely. It's a, uh, it is a great opportunity. I must say, I've been working on similar sort of things myself. You mentioned ab- about, you know, some of the great uh, volunteers and and people we have amongst the club uh, who are really helping, especially in a situation like this. But throughout the season, even in normal times as well, do you do you see uh, that as a as a growing area? Do you think we we need to look at more and more people? Um, obviously, the culture around the club seems to sometimes professionalize more and more as well. Do you see more roles going paid
2: or more sort of professionalized, you might say um look there might there might be um but I think the sort of organic growth of volunteers, so many people if you if you talk to you know John uncles or even you know your dad mm-hmm. and say well how did how did you get involved in such a pivotal role at the club?" I would imagine 80% of them, even more maybe are saying, well, because my daughter or my son started playing and I'd never played hockey before, but they were involved. And so I got involved and, and I can certainly say that's, that's what brought me into the club from an administrative point of view. And, and I think that that is always going to be the most important part of, of how we get volunteers into the club. Yeah. And it, and it's also a really important contributor to the culture. And we'll, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. But uh, from a volunteer's point of view, of course, we're harnessing people who have some sort of innate sense of wanting to be involved with their community, which is very common. A lot of people would love to be involved and they've got something to contribute. Now, whether that's passion, whether it's a caring concern for the community whether it's a professional skill that comes into play whether it's a a great passion about coaching or getting involved in officiating umpiring or tech benching you know this is the thing we've got so many opportunities that are tasks related to on the field that if you want to get involved you can find a job no problem now sometimes We are a bit short of, you know, specific needs, and it might, it might be that we identify people at the club who have tremendous professional, um, skills, and we need those people. And there are certainly a couple of lawyers that we've got on the board. You know, Pip and Ellen give us tremendous counsel, policy development, all of those sorts of things. And, and that's because they firstly have that community sense of involvement they want to be involved in their community but also they add to that a professional skill and a talent that gives you the opportunity to to harness that for the betterment of everyone so and you you'll see we're littered we're littered through the club with people like that um, I also think we've got hockey people and then we've got administrators and not to say the administrators aren't hockey people but the hockey people are those ones who perhaps have been at an elite level or certainly a, uh, have a great depth of experience. And they're the ones that we want teaching hockey um, and being at the coalface, you know, showing the hook into hockey kids how to hold the stick, showing the the under-14s how to run a short corner, uh, take one-on-ones, a goalkeeper, you know, and a, one of our elite senior goalkeepers, spending time with the young goalkeepers, showing them how to defend, one-on-ones during the, the finals last year. You know, they, those sorts of things, they're the hockey people sharing hockey experience, and that's fantastic. And then you've got the group who are very happy to be uh, spending their time off the field with the administrative tasks, with the social tasks, with the comms that you're doing, all of those. And we just seem to get this spread across. Now, that's not to say we've got more than we need. We don't. Mm. Um, and we do need to constantly recruit, but if you've got a if you've got a scene if you set the scene with the tone and the culture in, a, in an organization it becomes magnetic and people who you know do I want to be involved yes no look I will because you know they they're having a good time and and I feel I can make a contribution and that's sometimes you draw people in just by the fact that you're having fun and uh, we're certainly seeing that with a a younger group too who are going gee why would not I want to be involved in this
1: absolutely i mean that that from a personal perspective is is a
2: huge thing for me to
1: uh you know see everything unfolding and being absolutely like what you're just saying uh wow i would i would love to be a part of that and uh i think yeah you can very much see that around the club
2: well hamish you are a classic example just let me finish on that I mean, you are a classic example of someone that's played, come up through the juniors and then has said, okay, I really want to stay involved and be a part of a team environment and contribute in the way that I can really contribute. And And there are lots of stories like that, which is we're very, very fortunate in that regard. Absolutely. Well, I think before we go into the next topic, closing out there, what, what are some
1: of your goals for the club? And for yourself in, in terms of your uh, your
2: term as president of Canberra Hockey Club? Um, well, I, I really wanted to um, focus on two things. Um, I guess we came into a club that is um, rich in terms of hockey history and um, we want to remain the club that's very good at playing hockey, right? No matter which level, um, which grade we turn up at, we're generally regarded as being very good at hockey and that's a fantastic thing. We win a lot of premierships, we have a lot of participation, we're a big club and on the field I am certain that when people see that they've got they're playing Camberwell this week, no matter what grade, they're thinking we're in for a game. And and we want to keep that rolling and that means supporting the hockey people uh, at the coalface to get that job done and I, that's no different my you know that me having that goal is not unique. Everybody at the club shares that goal and so it's an important goal. The other one I think that is is equally as important, in fact in fact nowadays becoming more important, is to be as good off the field as we are on it. Um, we're not talking just financially or the facilities. I mean we've had um we've spoken about the finances but the facilities you've seen in the last sort of few years have transformed this club into much more of a home than it ever has been, and we've been very fortunate with that. But the facilities are, are obviously um, really important because it allows us to come together. The Being good off the club, and we talked about tone and culture, is looking at, at a role within the community that is probably um, larger than what it has been in the past, Over the years, you know, you go to the hockey club, you train or you play, you might have a few drinks and you go home. Now there's more of a a requirement for a club to be a very safe place for everyone. It needs to um, provide equal opportunity and great accessibility. Um, We need to protect particularly our younger members, but and, and that means having structure and that means having programs and we need to look after each other. And have a a bit of a pastoral role. So I guess in the old days, you'd you'd think of pastoral roles as being something that the church did. And and while that is not as popular as it used to be, maybe some of the emphasis of that is shifting to sporting clubs. And I think that at Camberwell, there is a great need for that. And certainly there's a desire for that. And some of the programs that we're looking at there, um, and we can get into those, are exactly those sorts of things. Yeah, you know, Hamish. At the end of the day, at Campbell, all we ever wanted was everything, and we've just got to work out how to get it. I guess, <laughs> yeah. um, and and that's the thing. You know, like the and it all starts with the the culture and the tone. And I I think if I can just touch on that for a second, because that allows us to do what we do. And the culture and tone is set by the fact that we have a unique cross section of members. It's very common for us to have parents turning up to watch their kids play in the juniors. It's equally as common to have kids turn up to watch their parents play uh, in the seniors. Mind you, mine only ever turn up if I make a grand final, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, They're involved. They are involved. And we have grand... we, We actually, in the men's that I play with, some of them are grandparents and their grandkids turn up to watch them play and they go and watch them play minky so or hook into hockey so that the fact that you've got young children boys and girls adolescents, they are males and females in their sort of late teens early 20s and then adults right the way through to you know John Simpson who's our uh, I guess he he'd be our patriarchal player at 70 something and And, um, you know, we have all of those that complete spectrum, right? Which means that we don't have a drinking culture. Um, we don't have any of those other issues that you can get if you have a monoculture of a particular group. Yeah. Right. So that gives us, that gives us the tone, that gives us the culture, but it also gives you the opportunity then to springboard into other things. And, um, if we can, as far as, What I'm looking to do, if we can develop ourselves in those areas while supporting our on-field activities, then I will be very pleased um, if that's, I guess, how my time in this role is seen. But there's a lot of work to do to get there. And so uh, that's what we're doing.
1: Absolutely. So that, that's a good segue there um, into looking at well, one of our next topics in terms of uh, some of the cultural language uh, kind of diversity that, that the club's been looking at. Yeah. I understand that you guys have been working with Deakin University and and on a, on a sort of action plan there. What's some of the backgrounds around that and, and where do you think that's going to take us?
2: Well, I guess this is one of the quite long-term strategies of the club and it's based on the premise that our catchment area has been primarily, um, Burundara area, mm-hmm. which is not surprising. We, that's where most of our juniors live. Um, and also some of the schools around the area. And that's where we get our players from. So when you have a look at the schools and the Burundara area, you'll see that it is it is changing in terms of its cultural backgrounds and if we are to continue to use the burundara area as our primary catchment we need to be accessible to the entire community that lives in burundara and at this point in time uh, i'm not sure that that's the case but it's not an instantaneous thing and so we what we uh, did was say well you know if if in fact we are to reflect some of the cultural groups or all of the cultural groups at the club and we're to make ourselves accessible to them, then we need to uh, understand what they think about the game of hockey, what they think about the Camwall Hockey Club and how accessible are we. Um, and we might well be friendly when anyone walks in the, the door, but what other aspects are there that we need to consider to be accessible? And so what we did was we asked... Um, Deakin University, they have what they call a freelancing hub, which is essentially a consulting group made up of uh, fourth year students in various disciplines. And they then come together with a project, we give them a scope, they go away and research it and they come back. And this particular group that we had for the cultural and, and language diverse project was uh, indeed, culturally and language diverse with representatives from Indian, Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai, Malaysian, uh, Canadian, cultural backgrounds. And they came back with uh, a really interesting uh, project presentation that challenged us on a number of areas. And they gave us a list of 56 things that we could wow. do, uh, which were short, medium and long term. Um, so it's quite involved. And I, so now what we're trying to do in response to that is to put together a committee of people who are very much associated with the club, who have talented uh, well, skills, particular skills, um, have some uh, ethnically diverse backgrounds and also have a great passion to see us nut this out over a period of time to, in, to ensure that we are a um, culturally accessible Uh, club in all senses of the word so that hasn't quite kicked off yet I've got four people of the five I would like to get for that committee and um, so it's right on the it's very close to sort of kicking it off Um, the people that I've asked have been very excited about this prospect and are are really interested in it and are bringing a great range of skills and they'll be kind of like a think tank where they look at what uh, Deacons presented to us and consider that um, you know i don 't think these are radical changes. these are just um ways of thinking and and very much in the the same vein as of how accessible and and um and welcoming we have been for um you know pride cup and women 's round all those and men 's health you know um making sure that we are a club that recognizes all of that and and behaves appropriately when we do so it's a big project. We want to stay engaged with our community as it changes, and we want to make sure that hockey is, is a sport that they're interested in participating in and that, um, you know, we can continue to plan to be a big club by drawing on the, the catchment that's served us so well over decades. Um, so that I guess that's where that one comes from. It's awesome. Sounds like
1: some uh, pretty pretty great work going on there. In a, in a sort of uh, similar thing the club's been working on has been surrounding the topic of mental health first aid. Uh, I know we've we've run a few yeah. sessions, but my mum my actually went to one and, and had very good things to say. Can you give us some background there and how we can access that as members and,
2: and what that should bring to our community? Sure. The uh, I guess this particular story started many years ago um, with a player, Jesse Foster, who i I didn't know who played at Camberwell and Tem and uh, at a young age he took his own life and I think the club was very courageous at the time and still is to promote that and Tem and and Camberwell Premier League side play for the Jesse Foster Cup in memorial of his memory and, and also to raise awareness of mental health particularly in men and we also of course uh, give the um the award to the Jesse Foster um award to the best new uh, junior playing in seniors um each year and, and as another form of recognition and and another reminder of how important mental health is and so on the back of that we then of course had the tragedy last november of Yasmin Wilson who was only 15 and a um young girl playing uh, both seniors and finishing off in juniors. Um, and we were all sort of um, deeply saddened and, um, by that event. And there were a lot of outcries from our members about that. And we were able to arrange some uh, counselling um, sessions for that. And we, we had a um, fantastic guy, Dr. Michael Cargreg, who... He's a well known psychologist in Australia and particularly Victoria. And, uh, he was able to come and provide us with some great advice and, and some sessions on that. And from that, we then, a small group of us, about six, um, decided that perhaps we should be looking at this more as a support network, you know, being proactive rather than reactive, um, and try and set up a support network for people who, are enduring um, mental health issues across a very broad spectrum, you know, both the youth, the adolescents, and then also later life as well. And uh, there are any number of people that we know within and without of the club who are having issues. And the question was, well, you know, how do you start a conversation if you're keen to help someone? How do you actually start that conversation? And um, so the the answer lay in in running a, um, mental health first aid course, which Michael Cargreg, um, organized and Liz Grant certainly was at the front end for us at Camwell, And, you know, there's another person who's given their professional expertise to sort of guide us. And so we put it out there to the club thinking, well, you know, how many are we going to get? Um, we ended up with twenty. Four, wow! which uh, I think 21 of them were from Camberwell. It was amazing. And, of course, um, uh, your dad and Paul Dixon had already done the course a couple of uh, weeks earlier. Um, so that took us to 23. Um, and so we did a two-day course. It was a tremendous investment in time, and it was actually just before we closed the doors on the club. So we were able to hold the the sessions, the two full-day sessions at the club and went through, so it was you know serious. It was sixteen hours or so of training, and and fantastic insight for anyone who didn't have any insight into mental health and the issues, and how to start conversations, and how to find help, and um, just how to be available. I guess so. That was the first step: is to get this um, get uh, a critical mass of people trained, and we had a lot of people. We're now looking at. Um, what coverage we've got you know it's like myself in masters and your dad obviously through the men's section and liz grant uh, through through the women's and and there were you know the 20 21 others that um you know paul dixon everywhere um who were available to support coaches who feel and managers who feel they've identified people who seem to be struggling and to give them advice on perhaps what they can do also Uh, members who they can, who can be uh, approached directly or or can approach, uh, our uh, mental health first aiders directly just, just to discuss things. We just feel that if we are out there and we can offer that initial conversation, we're not going to be trying to prescribe any, any treatment or anything like that. We're simply going to be trying to join the dots between someone who is struggling and where they can get assistance so that we can um, just just guide people in the right direction and, and obviously um, try and keep things uh, on a positive um, footing. So that's where we're at with that. We're at this point at the moment where we're getting our structure together. We'll identify the coverage that we've got around the club and then we'll launch that in a, a more um, thorough way. And we're talk- at the moment we're talking about the timing of, of what that might be and in the current environment. Well, who knows what the timing might be. Yeah. So that's a, that's a fairly significant um, project that we've we've got going.
1: It's a really great investment, I feel, especially, you know, given the number of, of people uh, who, you know, are in the club's orbit and, and who may not be, you know, wanting to take the first step of that conversation. Uh, very helpful.
2: Indeed. Well, actually, just um, you talked about the investment, Hamish. Um, club was going to pay for the, the full course um, but did invite those participating, that if they would like, they can pay for themselves and relieve the club of that burden. And half the people that attended paid for themselves. It was fantastic. So um, it really was a good investment from that point of view. So, no. And, and once again, you know, there's these people that participate of their own free will, give all that time and pay for themselves, are showing a great commitment to the community. You know, that's the sort of caliber that, of people Absolutely. we're dealing with, which is great. It's amazing stuff.
1: Moving on to another topic, uh, maybe talk a little bit about some of the club facilities and and things that have been uh, happening there we 've obviously just finished up this uh, amazing new north uh, lawn sort of uh, hit up area how did, How did this come about? this has seemed to be built extremely quickly and and it's uh, it 's quite nice Best.
2: indeed well, I think um Firstly, if you get Andrew Henderson involved in anything, um, <laughs> you kind of have to um, get out of his way. He's going to roll right over the top of you. But um, so that's that's why I think that on those forty degree days in um, in January, um, poor old Bob. He was out there sweating it, I suspect because he was uh, given a very tight time frame. Um, but look, the, the initial project, of course, people were looking at that area for a number of years. Firstly, it's it's a very it's a favourite place for a number of people to watch a game of hockey from behind the net. And of course, as you you know, the the seats were all on a slope and they were getting old, and the ground very un unlevel hard to get to if you're a little unsteady on your feet and um so there was a real bit of a problem there obviously there was there is nowhere to play um down at the, the ground for young kids and you watch the premier league men and women warming up and over in the corner in front of the club rooms on the pitch while they're warming up you've got little kids you know hitting the ball around it's an amazingly sort of community scene but it's just not exactly what you should have. But, um, so there was this need. So with John Uncles and Michael Barden, uh, got their heads together and, dare I say, applied for a couple of grants and both of which were successful for both the pitch area and the, um, the sunshades. And then once we had the money, the club topped it up and, uh, the, uh, we had, um, Mary Younger, who's an architect, who's uh, Greta Brooks' mum, came in with some plans and then, Uh, We called on um, uh, young Watson architects and Tim Gibney, I think, with the engineering side of things uh, and Andrew Henderson did the project management and uh, they pulled it all together. And and what you've got now is just a fantastic uh, space, which is actually surprisingly large where kids are going to be able to play and uh, also – Those who love watching the game from behind the goals have got a really decent, solid surface. We're getting some seats installed to watch the game. So just another upgrade of the facility. So a terrific, terrific project. Mm -hmm. Um, The other two, of course, are the scoreboard and the pitch replacement. Um, The scoreboard has board approval. Um, We've also uh, got involved a major sponsor who uh, looks like providing the majority of the funding there over a period of time for us and, Unfortunately, they haven't just signed on the dotted line. So at this point in time, uh, we'll wait uh, with great ex- anticipation until they do that. And that will look after the scoreboard from a financial point of view. We've also had a number of donations there through, the, um, through the, our website on that as well. Another area of generosity from uh, club members. And now, of course, we're, we're looking at putting this scoreboard up. It's essentially a big TV. And so we've got some obligations to our neighbours with that. And we're looking at how we can mitigate some of the um, intrusion that perhaps a large TV in, in that location may have. And we want to do that sincerely. Um, you know, we want to do it in a way that's aesthetically pleasing to the environs that we've got, but also just doesn't um, doesn't disturb people. And so we just need to sort of carefully walk our way through that um, and we're we're in the midst of that um, and then the pitch replacement I guess is the other one when it comes to facilities. We were about to we were about to get a committee together to start working on that process for the back end of twenty twenty one given the delay we and also the hit we 're going to take to our own finances, we do need to just look at that situation carefully because We don't want to embarrass ourselves financially by pushing ahead if we're, if we've already taken a hit. So we need to be careful in that, in that regard. We also need to consider that, of course, the pitch is not being used at the moment. Um, and then when it is to be used, let's just see how, how it's performing this year. And then certainly it's on the, it's, it is on the radar. There's no doubt about it. And we're now, um, considering, of course, whether it's the, Shock pad and the turf, or whether it's just the turf and experts will tell us what they think about that. So, um, so yeah, they're the two there. I guess with, as you mentioned, the playground, the scoreboard and the pitch are the facilities that we've, we've now got to look after.
1: Yeah, I suppose it's an interesting one with the pitch as well. You know, um, like you're saying, given the fact that it has had not much traffic recently and, and may not for a little while, we might get a little bit more life out of it. But, yeah, obviously a um, an interesting one. It's a, you know, It will affect everyone, so it uh, should be good.
2: Yeah, in fact, with the new hours, it's going to impact on more people because uh, we've been able to get um, a couple of extra games on Sundays, which will bring... Back to the club, perhaps some of the metro teams who might have played Sundays at Kunang, and uh, we might be able to give them some opportunity to play on the pitch. So that that will, in fact, um, now increase the wear. There's an extra juniors. There's an extra yeah juniors game on a Saturday morning, and there's a little extra training time um, during the week. So all of that will have an impact. You know, it may not be enormous, but it will have an impact. But uh, it's. Yeah, you know, it's our field of dreams, Hamish. We have to look after it. Absolutely.
1: Well, if I was a, uh, you know, as as a player who has played many Metro games at kunung myself, I, I would be, you know, be very very happy with these new hours.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's a great thing.
1: Uh, Simon, I'll give you one more before we we go. I, I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts on the chances of getting a blue field past the uh, neighbourhood committee would
2: be like. Might be a challenge. Getting a blue field, yes, I. I don't know, Hamish. I I don't think we should give them a choice. Fair enough. I just I just think we've got to get the pitch that we want to get. Um, but yeah, look, it's a uh, yes when it comes down to selecting the colour. That and many other things will be of great just great topics to discuss. It's a bit like uh, let's discuss the uniforms. I mean, there's a there's a committee you don't want to be on.
1: Oh, that that's that is a great can of worms. That one.
2: <laughs> Poor old Chris, Christy Smith, but <laughs> it is a great one. Um, now, before you wrap me up, it, it would be remiss of me uh, to, to be on a podcast and not to talk about our sponsors um, because we've, we've actually had a couple of sponsors who have actually paid their platinum sponsorship at the start of the year, which is an amazing show, show of support. And so that is, that's a wonderful thing that they have done. And we feel very, very privileged, of course, to have the sponsors that we have. They're, they're generally associated very closely with the club. Therefore, we're, of course, very, um, very grateful to, to have them not only involved in the club, but also to contribute in such a way. Um, and obviously, um, PE Capital are changing their name to, uh, Kuyong Asset Management. And so they're signing on on board as our shirt sponsor so we're very pleased to have them as well uh we're welcoming echo cartons who of course is uh, jade tenby's family business uh through luke which is fantastic condor group and that's also terrific and we'll uh, i'll introduce sponsors uh, through the whole of club uh in coming months um and then of course Forty Forty with will uncles um also continuing their great support. And also A&A Tax, which is uh, Cameron Allen, Ben and Josh Allen's uh, dad, uh, through his business, has been involved as well. And we're, we're also looking forward to introducing one more, which I'll announce at some point in the near future. So we are extremely grateful to have our sponsors uh, support us during these times and, um, and we look forward to having a much closer working relationship with them going forward.
1: Absolutely, a uh, another uh, few good, great examples there of our of our community um, working excellently well with us. That's about all on my list here, Simon. Unless there's anything else from you, it's uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Uh, it's our first guest. It's been great.
2: Well, it's an honour. Thank you very much, Hamish. I I do appreciate it. I'm not sure that getting an administrator on to talk about hockey is the most exciting way to kick off the program, <laughs> but you might as well get me out of the way, and then you can. Um, We can listen to uh, some of our great players regale us on glories of uh, past years. But uh, good luck with the program. The the comms group is really uh, keeping us on the front foot. You know, the Pilates program as well with James and Nolan Heath has been terrific and keeping us all uh, entertained with that. And obviously the rest of the comms has been great. So uh, well done and thank you so much.
1: Thank you very much, Simon. Cheers.